did I do to you? It's all about you, isn't it? Soothe me, save me, love me. You stop I have to finish me. my job. Everything is fucking run with us, everything. Jerry, you and I are salespeople. We sell. Look, it's I not love me. It's not trust my handshake. Okay. It's make the sale, get it signed. There shouldn't be confusion okay. about that. Okay, just jump right into my nightmare. The water is warm. Oh, so honesty is outlawed here. I can't be honest. Tell you what, I would prefer loyalty. What was our deal when we first got together? Brutal truth, remember? I think you added the brutal. Jerry, there is a sensitivity thing that some people have. I don't have it. I don't cry at movies. I don't gush over babies. I don't start celebrating Christmas five months early. And I don't tell a man who just screwed up both our lives. Oh, poor baby. That's me, for better or worse. Fellow teammates, welcome to another episode of the Move Swiftly podcast. I am your host, Aswan Crookshank, the founder of Gym 44 Recruiting and author of Swiftly, Your Guide to Innovative Teamwork. Teammates, I was 26 years old and I had officially hit rock bottom. Had fallen flat on my face. I had absolutely nothing. All right, my car had just gotten repossessed. I had no way of paying my cell phone bill. And my professional reputation was complete, was forever tarnished. You know, if you guys have been keeping up with the episodes, you know I tried to start my own minor league football team and I just completely fluff out of my face. Didn't work. Everything I tried just went through. All right, teammates, I'm, I'm going to start early. I'm going to give you guys some nuggets pretty early today. Just make sure you pull out your pens. There's no point in crying over spilled milk. The only thing you can do is go looking for a towel. All right, please do yourself a favor. Jot that down. There is no point in crying over spilled milk, the only thing you could do is to go start looking for a towel. And the way I started looking, the way I had to start looking for that towel is I had to find a job. And the first job I found after that whole debacle, I was a a sales associate at an LA Fitness, a local LA Fitness in Laurel, Maryland. And I couldn't believe I was actually doing it. I, I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed to have actually be doing this because it, it's funny, it's interesting. The very first LA Fitness that was built in Maryland was in Silver Spring, which was about five minutes from my house, from the house I grew up in. When they first opened, there'd be sales associates everywhere giving out flies. I mean, you couldn't walk two minutes without someone giving you a fly because that was the way you got paid as an LA fitness sales rep. You only got paid based upon how many memberships you sold. And they were hiring literally anybody that walked through the door to go out and sell memberships. <laughs> so the fact that I had to do that at 26 years old with a college degree was embarrassing. However, it brings me to the topic of today's discussion. It's, fun. it's all about how do we find our professional space. Because although I was embarrassed, 
it turned out to be a very valuable experience for me because I really learned about myself. I really understood what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And that's my goal for you guys today. I want you guys to understand that there's a professional space that we all have and we are all have gifts and we all have things that we're passionate about and things that we want to do. And there are ways in which we can help each other. Everybody has a dream. Everybody has a skill. Everybody has something they can do. And there are people's lives who are connected to your dreams and to the things that you're good at. You just got to gotta be honest with yourself first and foremost about what you're good at. And then you got to just position yourself in the right space. I'll give you guys an example. What My hiring, the person that hired me at that LA Fitness in Laurel is a guy named Dupree. Dupree Major. Great guy. You know, was as helpful as he could have been to me. He and I would go back and forth about training. He'd give me all of these ideas on how to, to close memberships and close deals. And I'd tell him all the objections because, you know, I, I'm coming from someone who has the objections, who's, who has gym memberships at other places, who knows what the gym business is all about at that point. Right, and Dupree is like, okay, if someone says this, this is what you tell them to get the membership. If someone said, and he would just, me and him would go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And once I got my first official sale, I'll tell you guys how I got my first official sale. The lady comes in, and I'm there. I give her a tour around the facility. I show her what's going on. I say, you know, this is the weight rack. This is how many weights we have. This is what you could do. Yada, yada, yada. I was doing a great job in touring the facility. Right? Uh, that, that is what I was good at. But I wasn't a good closer. I was not a good closer. Because I had had experience with other gyms. And I was, that wasn't my thing. So when she and I sat down to discuss prices and it, came, it became time for me to price present her, Dupree was, standing, was sitting in the chair right behind her. And her first objection was, ah, oh, let me think about it, da, 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 da. And Dupree turns around, he goes, think about it, whoa, whoa, whoa. He, and he grabs her by, she says, excuse me, man, you came in here for a membership, right? You came in for a membership, right? And then he starts using all this fly talk. He starts using, this was, you know, a man who's had years of experience of hearing these things. And boom, she signs up just like that. <laughs> to you base, listen, I was enthralled. I was like, whoa, man. And it felt so good because I had hit, I was, again, I was low. And I finally found a, a partner. I found someone that I can work with. And the value in that, and we're making money. We're doing something productive. He was the closer and I had a, a space for me at this particular place. It was awesome. I mean, listen, when the lady left and she got her membership and it was in the clear, Dupree just looks at me and he pumps his fist. He goes, yeah, yeah, ah. It's almost like the man, it's almost like he won the Super Bowl. That's how excited he was, right? And it, it starts by, it took me some time to admit it, but it starts by admitting what you're good at and what another person is good at. It starts with, just as I say in Swiftly, innovative teamwork and understanding that there's going to be a constant tug of war between what you're good at and what someone else is good at. And that's my goal for you guys today. All right. And I'm in, I understand. I completely understand. Finding your professional space in today's world is extremely difficult. I know. I know it personally.
Alright, I know why, and I'll tell you why it's so difficult. Actually, I'll tell you three reasons why it's so difficult to find your professional space. Reason number one, Facebook. <laughs> Reason number two, Twitter. Reason number three, Instagram. I said reason number three, Instagram. Instagram! Ah! <laughs> right? In today's world, when it comes to dealing with people, it is one of the most confusing things you can possibly go through. I'll give you a, a personal example for me. There have been women out there who have blocked me on social media, and I will see them in person, and we'll be talking like everything's fine. <laughs> There's women out there who respond to me or engaging with me on social media. And then I see them in person and they act like they don't know me. Then there's ones who, who will block you but then unblock you and then talk. I mean, this shit is so confusing. I don't know what to do. Teammates, seriously. And I know I'm not the only one that goes through it. Alright? So what I'm, what I'm explaining to you, the reason I tell you guys all that is because it is a real challenge to find your space in this world professionally when you have all of this confusion going on in your personal lives. It's funny, just, just this past Wednesday, I was, I was preparing for this discussion and I went to Hooters. I went to a Hooters bar and that, you know, for the past 10 years, that's been my spot. You know, I go to Hooters, I get me a beer, I get some wings, and I start talking to the bartenders about this dating world. You know, I love me some Hooters women. I do. I love some Hooters girls. It's some incredible conversation. <laughs> Don't knock until you try it. Trust me. Do not knock until you try it. So I'm there this past Wednesday, and I asked the, the bartender, I said, hey, how has Instagram changed the dating world? <laughs> and I love her answer. And she gave an incredible answer. I'll, I'll do my best to to reiterate or paraphrase it for you guys. She just looks at me, she goes, oh God, man, good question, man, good question. Because you're in South Florida and there's a lot of beautiful women out here, just like there's a lot of attractive men, there's just a lot of attractive people here in South Florida and you, didn't, you wouldn't have known that they were an option without Instagram. And naturally, when you see someone that you're attracted to, however you see them, whether you see them in person, whether you see them over dinner, however you see that person, you're going to start to formulate a plan in order to get with that person or at least figure out if it would work. And that happens naturally. And because there's so many options now, it becomes a real challenge, right? It becomes a real challenge to figure out what our professional space is. What is it that makes us tick? <laughs> that was pretty much her answer. She actually ended it by telling me that she don't use dating apps. She just uses Instagram. That was, that was the way we ended that conversation. I loved it because I was like, ah, good. I finally got some material for this talk. <laughs> and I got to thinking. I got to thinking, teammates. And I, I said, look, the internet's not going anywhere. Social media's not going anywhere. In fact... It's more of a positive that it's here now, so we do have these options. The only thing we have to do is we just have to accept certain things. We have to accept the fact that nothing's a secret. Nothing's a secret. And if you really want to get the most out of this life and maximize your potential and do all the great things that you're being called to do, you got to get deep. You got to get deep into your childhood. You got to really ask yourself, what happened to me in my past? What, what am I trying to fix? 
Again, another thing I want you guys to jot down. Please, please, do yourselves. This is, you don't want to, to not write this down. Write this down. Your vulnerability leads to victory. I heard Devon Franklin say this. He said, your vulnerability leads to your victory. And that is the only way that we can live in this world. Understanding what happened to me in my past has got to create my future. Now, I, I get this question a lot. I, I get asked by a lot of people. I ask one, how did you get so motivational? How did you get into coaching? How did you, you become this man that can just motivate people and get people so excited? How did you have this great energy? And, and I, I, it's difficult for me to answer that question because it's coming from a place that has been built in me since I was seven, since I stepped on the playing field. All right. This is how I was, I'm going to give you an example. This is how I was able to find my professional space, my profession, and how I'm able to do the things I'm able to do now. I was able to get into coaching and motivating people. That's my profession. That's my space. Just so we're clear, I want to use myself as an example. I'm coach. I like coaching and I like motivating people. And this is what happened to me at nine years. This is how I became like the way I am now. Became the way I am now. When I was nine years old. It's playing for the Brick Shaney White Oak Warriors. And the, the year prior, the year before, my team had went two and six. We went two and six and we sucked. We were terrible. The next year, we get a brand new coach. His name is Coach Art. Arthur Langham. Langham. Arthur Langham. Coach Arthur Langham. Coach Art. We called him Coach Art. Coach Art was our first, my first ever white coach. First ever, ever white man that actually coached me. And he brought an official feeling to our program because we knew he wasn't someone's uncle. We knew he wasn't a cousin. He wasn't a homeboy from the hood or what. He, listen, when he stepped on the field, us as young black kids got serious. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> All right. There's just something official going on up in here in White Oak. All right. Now, we turned that season around. We went 6-2. and two. We were a winner again. We finally felt good winning games. It was awesome. We ran up against a team named the Peppermill Pirates. The Peppermill Pirates and us were fighting it out for that second seed. It was the, the 14 playoff tournament, and we, the Peppermill Pirates and us were the two and the three seeds. We played them two weeks in a row. Like the first game we played them, Peppermill absolutely tapped that ass. I mean, they beat our ass up and down the field. In fact, I took one of the hardest hits I've ever taken in my life. All right, during that game, it was a blindside hit, and just the guy comes. His name, I remember his name was Francois, and he just knocks the shit out of me. And it happened right in front of my dad. My dad would volunteer holding the chains, and it happened literally right in front of his face. And I, this is what I heard I just heard the crowd go, Ooh! And my dad's just looking over me, like, Get up, Oswan, get up! <laughs> I swear, dude, I've never, never been so impressed. But anyway, we lost that night, and the next week started the playoffs. We're playing the Peppermill Pirates, and it's a completely different ball game, right? It's the fourth quarter, and we're actually winning. We're excited. It's like, oh, man, dog, we are winning this game right now. We're winning going into the fourth quarter. 
And Coach Art calls timeout. He gets us all pumped. I mean, he, he's looking at his teammates. If, if, if you can see the look of pride he had in our face, he's like, I told you guys you could do it. I told you you were better than you were last week. I've been telling. I mean, he was so excited for us, teammates. And the next thing I knew, I was being rushed to the sideline. And I'm looking down. I'm seeing Coach Art on his back struggling for breaths. Coach Art had a massive heart attack and died right there on the field. That very day. An absolute tra- tragedy. Again, I was nine years old, teammates. Nine years old. And it's like the images of him fighting for his breaths are planted right here in my skull. And all of our skulls. So when people ask me, you know, how did you get so much, how, how, what got you into coaching or what got you to, to build this brand in which you, you're, you're making everyone teammates? What, make you wrote, what made it so you wrote a book on innovative teamwork? Because I go back to those moments, teammates. That, that week, the media, local news stations had got word of the story. I was actually one of the captains that year. And I'm doing interviews like, we're a pro team, and the team we were playing the next week for the championship was Montgomery Village. And Coach Art had coached at Montgomery Village before he got to Wyoke, and it was so much, it, it seemed so right for us to go out there and win one for the coach. That was the end. I, actually, I said that specifically during the interview when I was at nine years old. I remember it debuted on TV, and everyone at school was watching it. It was crazy. But it seemed so right. And teammates, that next week, I lost one of seven, seven championships that I would lose. That was the first of seven championships that I lost in my 14-year playing career. I said seven championships that I lost in a 14-year playing career. That's half. That's half. So I'm pissed off. I've stayed pissed off. I still go back to those moments. I got a coach who's died, and I I got championships that I haven't closed the deal on. I know things are not over till it's over. In fact, the majority of those championships, several of those championships, we lost by one point. So it's still burning, teammate. It still burns. It doesn't matter how successful I get. It doesn't matter. What goes on? It still burns. And my challenge, my goal for you guys listening in right now is what still burns you? What still pisses you off? And that's how you find this work. That's how you find your professional space. That's how you find a place in which you can go day to day and just keep bringing it and bringing it and bringing it and bringing it. No matter what you do. I'll close with this. I'll close with three things. Three things. Again. Pull your pens out. Jot this down. Understand. The first thing I want you guys to understand after this this discussion is number one, nothing is a secret. Make sure you hold on to that. Nothing is a secret. Nothing is a secret. Nothing is a secret anymore. Stop hiding. Can't do it. Second thing I want you guys to ask yourselves right now. What pisses you off? What is it that pisses you off? 
Did you hear how angry I got when I started to think about all those championships I lost? What pisses you off? Ask yourself what pisses you off if you really want to find this place in which you can just keep growing, keep doing the things that you feel like you're called to do. Number three. How do I do my part every single day to make it right? What pisses me off and then how is it? How am I going to do something every single day to make it right? Teammates, if you get, if you take hold of those three things, I promise you, wherever you are in life, whatever your situation is, you're going to get better. All right? So ask yourself those things, and I promise you, the world will be yours. Fellow teammates, continue to move swiftly. We'll talk more soon. A friend of mine, and when he was building the win, I'll never forget. He was at my home in Sun Valley. I'd just gotten to meet him. It was New Year's. And everybody else was standing watching the fireworks. And I was sitting at the table. And I was basically doing a brain melt, sucking out of his brain everything I possibly could. How do you think about this? What do you do? How do you market? And here's what I learned from Steve. People don't buy products. They buy feelings. People don't buy products. They buy states. People don't buy products. They buy identities. And he and I went back and forth for about two and a half or three hours and became lifelong friends the last decade and a half. And what I learned from him is, how many of you know the six human needs? Let me see your hands. Raise your hand if you know the six human needs. So real quick, for those who have never heard it before, what's the first need that all human beings have? It's not a goal, it's not a desire, it's a need. What is it, quick? Certainty. Everyone has a need for certainty that they can avoid pain or ideally they can have some pleasure. But that's a survival instinct. If you have total certainty all the time, you will feel completely what? Bored. So what's the second human need? Quick. Uncertainty, which another word for uncertainty is variety. The need for surprise. Who here loves surprises? Say I. You like the surprises you want, right? Surprises you don't want, you call problems, but you need them too to be alive and business provides plenty of variety, right? What's the third human need? The need to feel significant. Significant is the third human need, to feel significant, unique, special, important, significant. Who has the need to feel significant? Who? Who? Everybody. What do people say? I don't want to feel significant. That's how they get significance, by saying, I don't need significance. I'm more unique than you. You have the significance. I don't. Some people get significance by buying a $500,000 or a million dollar car. Some people get significance by saying, I don't spend any money. I, 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 I don't need a nice car. I'm so special, I don't need a nice car. It's called a reverse ego symbol. Same need, they just go about it a different way. But if you're totally significant and unique and special, that feels good, but then you feel alone because the fourth human need is need for connection and love. Who needs connection and love? Everybody. Number f and by the way, those first needs everybody gets. Certainty, uncertainty, a variety, significance. Even if you have to make up stories about yourself, you'll find a way to feel significant, right? And a feeling of connection, if not love. The final two needs are the needs of the spirit. You must grow is number five. You grow or you, if a business is not growing, what is it doing? That's a fact. There's no such thing as a stable business. You're growing or you're dying. There's no plateau that you can stay at and stick around. And lastly, number six, you got to grow. And with what you grow, you have to contribute. Because everything in the universe is either growing or dying. Everything in the universe is contributing or it's eliminated by evolution, if nothing else. We're made for that. Now, having said that, when I was with Steve that night, I explained these six needs. And as I'm explaining them, he grabs me physically by the shoulder. He goes, that one, that one. And I just said significance. He goes, 
That's where I've made all of my money in my entire life. He said people will pay disproportionately to feel significant than for any other need. He said people will spend more money. People want love, but they think they'll get love if they're significant. Or at least they'll get laid if they're significant. <laughs> he said, so I've built the most expensive hotels in the world, and I charge more than anybody else. And even when Las Vegas in 2008 went through its drawdown, Steve kept his prices high. Why? Why? He wanted to still be the most special place. He came to this seminar, sat in the front row, and I'm not, there's almost nothing that makes me uncomfortable, but I'm like, what am I going to teach him? But he sat in this event at lunch, took me to lunch, and he goes, this is the most viable session I've been in the last 10 years. I know what I'm going to do. This is in 2008. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, when all my competitors are shrinking right now because they're trying to survive, I'm going to go build this giant beach club that goes right to Las Vegas Avenue. I'm going to build this new entrance. I'm going to up my services. He said, I'm going to do what you teach. What is the fundamental success to becoming wealthy? It's only one thing. If you want to be wealthy, you have to do more for your clients than who? Than anyone else. You have to add more what? That is the entire secret to wealth in business. If you want it in one sentence, it's simple. Do more for others than anyone else is doing. Add more value and you will own them and you will own the marketplace. He goes, you know what I'm gonna do, Tony? I'm gonna, when everybody else is shrinking, I'm gonna add more value. So all the high-end people are gonna see I'm doing more and they're gonna come to me and this down period is gonna be the most important period of my entire career. Because when the economy comes back and those guys start giving services, I already own these people. They're not gonna leave me, I'm their home. You gotta ask yourself, what do I do to add more value? And many of you think adding more value means cutting your prices, or doing something of that nature. Sometimes adding value is raising your price. It's crazy. Raising your price can increase your sales if it's the right piece. Now, if you raise your price and do more, no question that could be the right thing in some cases. Some of you, your market is the cheapest price. Maybe it's time to change that business model because unless you're Walmart or Amazon or somebody that can do things at massive volume and lose money and sustain it, you might need a thing called a margin. If you're going to be successful in business, you want a high margin. High margins come from high human needs being met. Source for all of you and be you on a regular See, basis. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so what, sorry. What Man, what I'm happened? sorry, y'all. This is what happens. But just understand when you build these relationships, my best friend in the whole wide world, like my boy that's like my blood brother, LD, my guy, like my wife will do anything for L, anything. That's my, that's like my blood took care of my wife, my kids, that's my guy. We moved here, like literally, I had to leave everything. L didn't even tell us, he went to the house, packed it up by himself and drove it here. L calls me like, E man, I'm going through it. I'm like, what's up bro? He like, man, financially I'm struggling. I need help. I was like, bro, I can't give you no money, I gotta give you a job. Josh leaves Charlotte and moves to, L moves to California and gives my boy LD a job, paying him $5,000 a month before he does anything. Like, you just get $5,000 a month. I'm gonna give you five to learn the business. I'm gonna give you five grand to learn the business, and whatever you sell, that's yours. Right, and I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna be real. I'm hurt, because my boy lost the job. He lost the job, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't make the adjustments. But I call this man, no resume, no, let me check his background, nothing. 
He said, have my man come, come, just have him come up here, and I got him. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about relationships, and some of y'all don't get it. You think you could talk to people any kind of way because of your little title. You could think you could just treat people any kind of way. It don't work like that. It don't work like that. He said it. This, people build businesses. Business don't build. Nobody care nothing about your little structure. They care about how you treat them. Nobody care about Eric Thomas and your little speaker. They care about how you treat him when I, when I call and get Eric Thomas to come. How did you treat me? That's what they care about. When the phone call, the first phone call, what's that like? And then when we got the check or when stuff didn't work out, how did y'all treat us when the check didn't get there? So be careful how you treat people. Because if you treat people right, you'll never be broke. You'll always have. Why? Because you'll have people to go to. And I didn't need no job. But my boy needed a job because my boy got three kids. And let me be real with y'all. Josh had to fire my man. And then he came back six months later. He came back. Josh said, all right, I'll hire you again, you e-boy. We'll start the process all over again. This is a business. He running a business. He took my boy back. And I'm telling you, he don't know my boy like that. And then he did get to meet my boy and saw his work ethic. In some areas, wasn't up to par to what they needed. And still looked out for me and took care of my family. So please don't walk away from here not hearing what we're saying. Don't walk away from this place the same that you were before you got here. Take these principles and all the principles that you gathered this weekend, and I'm saying a year from now, and whatever you're doing, for real, you should be at a whole nother level. As a person, and you should be at a whole different level from a financial standpoint. And I never got a chance to thank you for that, man. <laughs> Stand up now. Thank you. <laughs> Give it up for Josh, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Mary, oh, Mary, don't you we tell him of the night Up in my face, but he 
keeping me safe and in my place. To the gates of race, but I changed the face of judge. And I got my soul a bug. Grudge me, cause there's no mercy for thugs. Ooh, what can I do? It's all about the family and how we grew. Can I get a witness? Let it unfold. We live in our lives, we turn our soul. Hey, yeah. Tell me why we die, we die. 